Welcome to Regenerated Radio. This podcast aims to take important theological concepts from a confessional Baptist perspective and apply them to a modern context in the life of the church and the individual believer. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Welcome to Regenerated Radio, Season 3, Episode 8. I'm so glad you guys could join us for a really special episode today. Uh, Special not only because I'm not in my normal surroundings, I'm actually in my office. Luckily, my job kind of affords me a somewhat of a studio setting in my office as well, so I can take a lunch break and do an interview like this. Uh, But also special because it's a little bit different from what I would normally do. My podcast tends to focus on doctrinal, theological stuff, and today is going to be a little bit different in that it's going to be talking more specifically about uh, the SBC as a denomination and its leadership uh, with Dr. Tom Askell. So I'm really excited to have him on today, and I'm going to pull him on in just a second, Uh, give a couple of short plugs. I'm not going to talk too long about this, but if you're you're here, you've never seen my uh, podcast before. My name is Greg Kite. I'm an elder at Covenant Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. And um, just a regular dude. <laughs> and so I really enjoyed putting on this podcast and I go through a lot of different stuff from Reformed Baptist perspective. So if you've never seen it before, definitely subscribe and click the like buttons and all those things so that we can uh, continue to do this little bit of a somewhat of a ministry. And it's been fun for me. And I hope you guys are edified by it as well. Uh, and so there's also some links below to other things that I use, Twitter, um, Discord, if you want to be part of sort of live chat conversations and things like that, as well as a merchandise store that's just really for fun more than anything. Uh, and then finally, there's also a link in the description below this video of an article that I just published in Servants and Heralds called uh, Tom Askell More Than a Conservative, and it is my sort of written out endorsement of Dr. Askell for SBC president. Uh, and so in light of that, I wanted to make kind of a personal statement before I really started um, with this today. And so just just because and I wrote it out because I think it's important for me to say it in the way that I'm going to say it. Uh, and so in the article, I mentioned at the beginning that I am not generally interested in or concerned uh, with SBC politics, if you will. This podcast is generally targeted toward theological conversations and will proceed as such in the future. But I've witnessed enough controversy um, in such a short time as an elder uh, and in the SBC that I felt compelled to use my small platform to put in my two cents for a man who I believe stands above those things. We're all tired of hearing about drama and controversy among SBC leadership. I'm just a regular guy, a lay elder at a small SBC church in Houston, but I believe my opinion is shared by many. I also believe that Tom Askell is a man who stands apart from all of that, a good man with both leadership skills and pastoral heart, which is exactly what the SBC needs right now. So with that said, uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring Dr. Askell on. Oh, there we go. How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing good, Greg. Thanks. Good. All right. Well, let me pray for us really quickly, and then we will get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this technology, the time that you've attributed in both of our schedules that we can get together and chat. We thank you for the things that you do in our lives, the blessings that you give us. Uh, God, we thank you for the Southern Baptist Convention. We thank you for its reach and its uh, its mission and how effective it's been in doing that uh, throughout the course of its history. And God, as we see things that maybe we desire to be changed um, and and leadership that needs to take place, God, we pray that you would uh, you would sovereignly guide the the things that need to be guided uh, for those things to take place. Lord, we pray for our conversation. We pray that it would glorify you and that it would edify others today. And it's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you wouldn't mind, just give us a brief bio of who you are. Uh, I've got, got some things listed on there that you can go through, but whatever you'd like to say about yourself. A lot of people who are watching me know who you are already, so it's not a whole lot needs to be said to me. <laughs> well, not that interesting. You know, uh, I've been married to Donna, my wife, for nearly 42 years. Uh, we met just before college and uh, then dated throughout college and got married uh, right 
after college and uh, she's a child of a, a lifelong army uh, colonel and he's now with the Lord, but their family was in t- at uh, College Station, Texas where I went to school at A&M and uh, they adopted me into their family and I just stayed, you know? So uh, it has been a a great blessing of my life to be married to such a wonderful, godly woman. We have six kids, uh, five daughters and one son. My oldest daughter is back in college station and she uh, serves a church there in kind of an administrative role with working with children and uh, preschoolers as well and curriculum stuff. And then the other five are right here in Cape Coral, Florida with me. I've been pastor here at Grace Baptist Church since 1986. And um, I'm just delighted to be able to have so many of my family right here with me. We've got 15 grandkids, one on the way. That's a wonderful time of life. Uh, By God's grace, all our children are faithful in church. And the ones that are here are faithful in Grace Baptist Church, serving diligently with their spouses. And um, again, I've been in this church since 86. God's been so kind. The, the the congregation is well named as Grace because they put up with me for all these <laughs> years, and uh, you know they've helped me grow as a pastor and forgiven my uh, foibles along the way. So I'm also the uh, president and helped to found Founders Ministries, which is coming up on its 40th anniversary, as is our church. Interestingly enough. And the Institute of Public Theology, which we launched last year, uh, which is a a course of study, a three-year course of study for those interested in the ministry or wanting to become equipped to think more rigorously and worldviewishly about how Christ is Lord over all the earth. And so I'm delighted to join with my good friends, Vody Balkum and Tom Nettles, as founding faculty members of this institute. So that's, that's really probably the only interesting things about me. All right. Well, anything that you're currently working on? Any? Uh, I know you've written a lot of books. I actually picked up a uh, little traditionalism in the SBC not long ago, and I read through that and Dear Timothy, some other things. It was really great stuff. By the way, if you're not familiar, definitely hit up, hit up uh, Founders Press. A lot of incredible titles in there that have really shaped me and my theological views uh, recently, too. Yeah. Well, you'll be interested in this, Greg. We're, we're getting ready to, uh, we're working <laughs> diligently to hope get out by the end of the year. Uh, Jim Renahan's commentary on the second London Baptist confession, which is really good. Jim talks about reading the confession sideways. And so uh, we think this is going to be a great tool. Um, we're also got another great book and it's, it's a little further down the pipeline by Mark Devine. He's a professor at Sanford university. Uh, and it's kind of on what the young restless reform movement, what went wrong, you know, how did the wheels come off of that? And uh, Mark was very much a fan of that. He was very entrenched in a lot of that whole stuff and began to kind of see things going on, question it. So that's going to be a, a wonderful book, too. A book yeah. that we hope to have out within maybe six weeks, hopefully before the Southern Baptist Convention, is by David Schrock, who is a pastor up in Virginia, called uh, Brothers, We Are Not Plagiarists. <laughs> and it's talking about pulpit plagiarism and not, you know, not trying to go after Ed Litton and, sure. and all the things that happened this last year, but just this is a problem. This, this is something that we need to be conscious of and try to understand what's legitimate use of sources, what's illegitimate, and just, just trying to encourage people with some principles on how to prepare and preach sermons with integrity. Um, personally, I'm working on a, a little devotional book that you know, I don't know, don't have a timeline for it. But uh, it was birthed out of the death of my sister many years ago, and uh, just kind of been working on it off and on since then. Some writings I did while she was dying, and to some of her friends and family. 
And uh, then also a leadership book that I've kind of had in the back of my mind started trying to uh, put some form and shape to. That sounds great. Yeah, I know that uh, for sure that that young reformed and restless one will be very interesting. Um, yeah. I definitely came out of that movement, and I feel like everyone starts there. Or most of the reformed Baptist folks that I've known have started there, and have either moved into more kind of a reformed orthodoxy um, of confessional orthodoxy, maybe like mm-hmm. myself, or gone in the other direction and kind of gone off the rails. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's dangerous in some ways, I think. But that'll be interesting to read. Yeah. Okay, well, cool. Let's go ahead and jump into our conversation then. Um, you know, we're here to talk about your candidacy as the um, president of the Southern Baptist, or for the presidency of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, that's a big role, and that requires a lot of things. Uh, and I, actually, I want to pitch that question to you. I want you to kind of give your, in your own words, what do you think the traits are that an SBC president really needs? Um, you know, whether or not people have had those traits in the past or not, what do you think is the most important thing that a uh, president will need? Well, it's just been a little over two weeks since there was an announcement that I would be nominated in Anaheim for this office as a candidate. And if the the two-week window that I've lived through so far is any indication of what's to come and what will follow if God were to will for me to become president, one trait that is needed is thick skin. Mm, Sure. Uh, And and, and by God's grace, I've got that. You know, uh, people contact me and say, man, why, you know, they said this or doing this. And uh, how do you feel about that? And I said, well, fortunately, by God's grace, this isn't my first rodeo. Uh, I've been in the ministry a long time. And so I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of things done in the name of Christ that uh, are quite honestly, just godless. And um, so I, I, you know, I know how those things work. But beyond that, I, I really believe that our convention needs to be led by a pastor. I've said that for years. You know, I mean, there's other good guys and doing things that they're not in the pastorate. But I just think a man who looks at a congregation week after week who will have to minister God's word in the light of Hebrews 13, 17 as a man who one day will stand before God and give an account for those souls under his care, that that's the guy that we want to give some direction to our convention of churches that are being led by guys like that. So, um, you know, I'm a churchman, man. I've always wanted to be since God called me to be a pastor. And I settled that issue once and for all um, and you know, worked through some early kind of challenges as to whether or not this is what I should do. I love being a pastor and I thank the Lord for the privilege. It, it, it just boggles my mind that he's done this for me and then has let me stay in one church for all these years. I mean, that's incredible. That's just a testimony to his grace yeah. and his kindness. And I think all the qualifications that the Bible sets forth, First Timothy 3, Titus 1, that for a pastor, that uh, the leader of the SBC, and it's only, you know, it's not a, a leader in the sense that he's making all the decisions and working a lot of changes, but he has a bully pulpit, and he does get to at least uh, contribute to the ethos of the way the SBC operates and how it's portrayed publicly. I think a man who has uh, been put through that fire in testing and serving a local church week in and week out. That's the kind of guy I want um, because I, I, my fear is I don't think we would be well served by somebody who thinks, man, this is the most important thing on my schedule uh, that, you know, the, the Southern Baptist Convention, leading the Southern Baptist Convention, that's going to trump everything. Right. I don't think that's going to be helpful, quite honestly. So anyway, that's what I aspire to be with or without being nominated as the SBC president. And whether or not God would have me to enter into that role, um, it's not going to change my basic approach to ministry and life because uh, 
that's been settled and forged over many, many years of, uh, of trying to do that. Sure. And I think um, in conversations with my preaching pastor at my church, um, Chris, he, he brought up the point that yes, that, you know, we don't, we want that. We do want past a pastor in the, uh, that position uh, and someone with those pastoral traits and qualities. Uh, but there is an element of, of leadership too, that you have yeah. to have as well. And I think that, you know, you have some, some experience in your organizations and the leadership of IOPT and then founders that helps with that as well. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. I mean, I, I want to be a guy who's easily entreated. Uh, I don't want people to be afraid to talk to me, criticize me, raise any questions with me. I want to listen and try to understand uh, alternate points of view from my own. Um, And so I think that's important as well. But I'll tell you another thing, and I I believe this is something we just desperately need in the SBC right now. Uh, We need need to be led by, and we need this across our convention, uh, those who genuinely fear God. Uh, one of my greatest concerns is that we no longer fear God. We give lip service to a lot of things, but I, I tremble at uh, Romans 3.18 that you know there's no fear of God before their eyes. So that's a major concern of mine, and that'll be a drum I beat a lot if God were to give me that platform to speak from, is that we, you know, we, we got structural things we need to address, and I've thought about those a little bit. But more important than that is, man, we, we need spiritual renewal. And at the heart and the, the, the threshold of that kind of renewal is a return to the fear of the living God before whom we and every creature will one day stand and give an account. So uh, I, I think that I'd put that at the top of my list. Amen. Right. That John Knox, we must fear God rather than men. Right. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that, that sounds good. I agree. Leadership skills, but more importantly, and I, I highlight that as well in the article that I wrote that we need someone with a pastoral heart. And, uh, you know, I think that, you certainly have that. So let's move forward and ask uh, what what specifically then makes you feel, and that actually kind of leads in well, we, we're talking about that being a, a focus of fearing God rather than fearing man. So what mm-hmm. specifically makes you feel that there's a need for sort of some sort of course correction? You know, there's been this hashtag change the direction going yeah. around now. What makes you feel like there needs to be a change of course in the SBC? Well, because I do think that w- there's a lack of fear of God. And I think there's been a lack of uh, transparency in uh, the, many of our leadership uh, positions in the SBC, a lack of responsiveness to the churches, churches like mine. I mean, I, I pastor a normative Southern Baptist church. You know, we're not massively uh, big. Uh, we don't have massive amounts of money. Uh, we've sent some missionaries uh, to various places around the world, but we're just kind of a, a, a regular Southern Baptist church. And churches like ours have largely been stonewalled by many of our denominational executives and entities and organizations. Jason Allen, who's the president at Midwestern Seminary a few years ago, he wrote an article, it's really good. And he said, listen, if you got questions, you know, Southern Baptist, just write letters or calls. He said, we will be responsive. Because I believe everybody in the SBC will be responsive. He's talking about leaders. And, you know, sad to say, I, I think Jason meant that, but he's, he woefully underestimated uh, the reality on that. I've got letters, I've got... <laughs> I mean, from churches across the SBC, from fellow pastors, my own uh, situation where you know, we've reached out to entity leaders and uh, to different ones who receive their income from the cooperative program dollars that our churches give and ask legitimate questions. And sometimes, you know, what we've received in response has been obfuscation or being stonewalled or just being patted on the head or just being ignored. And I mean, that's happened time and time again. 
I don't have an explanation for it, except I know it's not right. And it shouldn't be that way. Our entities and agencies need to be responsive to the churches who own them, who built them, who pay for them, who pray for them. And uh, so that's one thing desperately that needs to be changed in the SBC. And then we just have too many uncorrected uh, issues, that are mistakes, problems that have cropped up. And you bring it up and people say, why are you being a troublemaker? You know, I mean, he's a good guy. And why don't you just leave that alone? But as a Southern Baptist pastor of a, a normative Southern Baptist church, it's a problem for me to have on one of our seminary faculties, a faculty member who has endorsed Revoice, hmm. you know, as an organization that says we just want to care well for homosexual Christians. Well, if you care well for them, quit calling them homosexual Christians. You know, try to help them to come to see the, the truth of the gospel and the freedom that's in Christ and the power of that gospel to put sin to death. The rest of your life, you'll be involved in a fight, perhaps, with remaining sin, but it's, it's winnable, and you will win it by the grace of Christ. Uh, I, I just think that um, some of these ideas that uh, we have been uh, subjected to, you know, God whispers about sexual sin. Hmm, right. And rather than saying, hey, you know what, that was a stupid statement. I shouldn't have said it. Please forgive me. No, no, let me nuance it. Let me nuance it. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, a provost of one of our seminaries who self-identifies, claims, I am a racist and will be a racist till the day I die. And I know I'll get emails from people because I'm saying this again, but I've talked to him. And, you know, I was told by someone close to him who should know that in that same institution, well, he was just virtue signaling. I asked him point blank, Matt, are you virtue signaling? He said, I promise you I'm not. Well, what was it? You know, well, you got a lot of applause when you said it in the context you were in. And now that people are shining light on it and question, why, why are we paying for, for a seminary that has a self-identified, proclaimed racist till death as provost? I think that's a problem. It needs to be addressed. It doesn't need to be swept under the rug and just, you know, go along. There's nothing to see here. Uh, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission has, has been fraught with difficulties for years. And we saw it last year before Russell Moore moved on and left the Baptist uh, world in that position, when he sat on an email or he sent an email to his chairman of trustees, I guess, about uh, women and children being raped and abused, sexually abused and covered up by the executive committee. Really? If that happened, why weren't you on the phone to the police? This right. is crazy. Why? You know, he, he was in a state where, as I understand it, he, he was a mandatory reporter. And so if he had real knowledge of this, he should have reported it, but he didn't report it. It got leaked. And conveniently enough, just before the Southern Baptist convention and trying to implicate Mike stone, who is a decent man, a godly man, and tried to just ruin his career and his, his reputation with that. And, and then Russ's colleague, you know, did the same thing. Philip Bethencourt, who surreptitiously, uh, recorded a private meeting when they were asked not to record it and he recorded it and then he releases it right before the convention. I don't think those things are godly. I think those are the tactics of the world. And we've just seen, I, I could spend the rest of your podcast giving you <laughs> examples. I don't want to do that. And I don't want to focus on those things, but sure. they're not going away. And there are people who would just wish they, they wish I'd quit talking about it and say, mm -hmm. you can't, we just get over this. You're so divisive. Well, come on, shoot straight with us. I right. mean, just be Christian. If you made a mistake, we have a Savior. If you've sinned, 
There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Confess your sin, repent of it, get up, make things right, and start over. That's that's the nuts and bolts of the Christian life. And I just think we have uh, we've defaulted to more kind of worldly political ways of operating than operating as simple Bible believing, God fearing, Christ trusting believers. Yeah, right. And I think that uh, as I as I look at that, and I, even when you're talking about it, you, you start to squirm and it's it's, it's uncomfortable, but. I know there has to be some level of. I'm sure you are as well. There's some level of like we have to deal with the discomfort because it's it actually is a problem that needs to be addressed, and we can't just say, "Well, it'll all work itself out." It's not that's, that's not, not how things work in the world. <laughs> no, and it's not the way of Christ. I right. mean, God calls us to be honest. He calls us to uh, not fear. I mean, the gospel is so powerful. I mean, Jesus has justified me completely, hundred percent, no condemnation for Tom Askell. And and yet the process of salvation condemned me. You know, people say, how do you handle all the, the criticism against you? Well, look, uh, some of it's not true, but I can tell you that the truth is far worse than what they're saying right. because the cross of Jesus, have you ever thought about this? When Jesus hung on the cross, he for me, he, he publicly was de- declaring to the world, Tom Askell is such a scoundrel. It took the death of God's son to save him. Hmm. Now, what's worse than that? You know, what are they going to call me a misogynist, a racist, a bigot? Uh, look, it's worse than anything they can conceive in their minds. So I've already been condemned publicly. I don't have to worry about what people say about me, but I've also been justified. And that's forever. And nobody can take that away either because I'm in Christ. There's no condemnation. So, you know, bring your best shots and condemning me. It doesn't matter. I have a savior. And if we could live like that, I think it would free us up to talk more honestly without embarrassment or fear of being found out. Uh, I don't have to be afraid of looking inside myself and discovering sin that maybe I've just kind of figured out a way to, you know, kind of push way down deep and not deal with, because whatever I discover there, God's already known, Christ has already died for, and I have the promise that he has saved me eternally from it. And that's a glorious way to live. Yeah. Amen. And that's, you know, there's so much like rich theology and just in what you're saying about yourself in this case. And I think that's really important for an SBC president to have. So with all that in mind then, and this is kind of related, and you've already touched on it a little bit here, but how would you then respond to those who would say that you're, you're divisive, intentionally divisive, or overly concerned with politics or power or whatever the, the case may be? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit too on the sword and the trial. So if you haven't listened to that, listener, go and listen to that as well. Yeah, we did. Voting, I had a little too much fun with that, I think. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, we did try to address it. Well, you know, I don't, I don't wake up every morning thinking, how can I be divisive today? Uh, I don't enjoy controversy. I don't live for controversy. Um, and quite honestly, this stage of my life, I wish I had a lot less of it. But um, uh, so where I'm personally sinful in being divisive, I want to be called out on it. I want people to help me with it. But when people just say to me, man, you're being divisive by bringing up all these things I just listed a moment ago. Am I saying things that aren't true? Am I saying things that aren't right? And I, I think what I'm doing is just shining light on stuff that most people who are in the positions of leadership right now wish would be kept in the dark. And I don't feel any compulsion to live that way. So where I'm personally sinfully divisive, man, call me out on it. I, I you know, I'll say I welcome it, but I, I will. I will welcome it because I know I'm capable of that. And, and I want to own my sin because I have a savior. I want to repent of every sin and turn and trust Christ and try to do better. But also, we can't ignore the reality that truth divides. I mean, uh, Jesus came to bring a sword, he said. 
And Mary was told that uh, there will be a sword, you know, basically a sword in that manger. He came for the separation of people. And um, some of the things that I have personally experienced and personally been exposed to, even in the last two weeks, Greg, I mean, it's, it's really heartbreaking to me. I, I want to ask some of these guys, hey, look, did Jesus have to die on the cross for you to do this and act this way? Or could you have done this if there had never been a Savior come into the world? Because the activities, quite honestly, they're godless. And I'm, I'm not making stuff up, and I'm not trying to air anybody's dirty laundry. But there are plenty of receipts. And I, I can guarantee you this, too. If those receipts were in the hands of less honorable men, uh, they would be plastered publicly everywhere. So truth divides. I don't want to be uh, divisive. I, I want to um, be easily entreated, but I'm not going to back away from the word of God. And so if somebody thinks that I need correction, please come correct me. But you better have your Bible open because if you don't have your Bible open, I'm not much interested. You can tell me what this sociologist says, that psychologist said, this philosopher said, you know, maybe there's some tidbits there that are worth thinking about. But you're going to have to show me from the word of God who defines what sin and righteousness is um, if, if there are things I need to be corrected on. And I'm willing to, to have that. But just know it's going to be a biblical kind of conversation. And, uh, and I'm open to correction biblically. But I'm not going to be bullied. I'm not going to be intimidated by uh, the cultural winds or, or what uh, the latest psychological theory is. Yeah. Well, great. Uh, okay. Well, then let's shift from maybe some of those controversial issues or whatever. I'm, I, I agree with you, obviously, but to maybe a little more doctrinal or theological issues, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've not had certainly in the SBC in a long time, if ever that I can think of uh, a president who is a confessional reformed Baptist. Um, I would mean, JD Greer was, that was controversial when he was elected at, as a mm. the first Calvinist uh, that I can think of period. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, more maybe neo-Calvinistic, I suppose. Uh, I don't want to ascribe labels to somebody I don't know that well, but certainly I know that you are confessionally reformed and would mm -hmm. uh, subscribe to the 1689 London Baptist Confession like myself. Uh, so how does how do you think that plays into this? How does how do people view you then? Um, and, and will that have any sort of effect on, I don't know, anything as far as your candidacy or you, the way that you would lead the convention? <laughs> yeah, well. You know, I mean, obviously I am who I am and I'm not going to jump out of my skin to try to attain something that I don't aspire to. So um, if God does this, praise God. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm in this. so I want to win. I don't want to misrepresent that at all. And I'm willing to do what I can legitimately to, to pursue that in. Uh, but it is kind of an interesting thing. You know, I, I had uh, I had a guy from the ERLC uh, high up call me in 2018 after the Dallas Convention and I was involved in drafting the statement on social justice and the gospel and publishing that. And it was just before we published it. And he was trying to talk us out of it. You know, Tom, shouldn't, you shouldn't do this. It's going to ruin your reputation, your legacy. You know, you've been the founder's guy. You've been Mr. Calvinist. You've been trying to Calvinize the convention, da, 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 da. And uh, why would you do this? And he said, I just don't understand you. And I said, well, you're right about one thing. You don't understand me because I've not just been about trying to Calvinize the convention. That's not been a goal of mine. I'm about truth. I'm about righteousness. I'm about understanding. And, you know, I don't think I've got all that figured out and doing it just perfectly myself. But I, but I do think that brothers who are going to cooperate in a convention of churches ought to be willing to engage those issues with open Bibles. And so I'm not ashamed of that. 
Uh, and he said, but, you know, if, go back 25 years. He said, if, if somebody would have, te- would have told you 25 years ago that in 2018, J.D. Greer, a Calvinist, would be elected president of the SBC, he said, you would have rejoiced. So you would have celebrated. And I said, well, no, not if I knew then what I know now. I wouldn't have. And I didn't tell him this. And I don't know if I've ever said it publicly, so you're getting a scoop here. I didn't vote for J.D. Greer. Hmm. I voted for Ken Hemphill as a five-point confessional, reformed, Baptist, theological guy. Sure. Uh, I voted for Ken Hemphill because I had already become convinced at that point that this, uh, this movement of which I think J.D. has been a part was being moved in a direction very bad that if we, we don't stop it, is going to ultimately undermine the very things that we have stood for and claim we believe and want to contend for as a convention of churches. So, you know, I mean, people are using that. It's been online. Some guys, well, this is interesting, you know, the Conservative Baptist Network has uh, applauded Tom Askell being nominated as president of the SBC. Look at what Tom said about the uh, traditionalist Baptists in the little book you referenced earlier. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a critique and you know, I mean, we disagree on those things, but I just wrote uh, a friend, I don't know, know him well, but he's been a very outspoken uh, kind of anti-Calvinist. You know, he disagrees with Calvinism. He's written some books on it. He's a really good guy, but he came out publicly. Ronnie Rogers came out publicly, say, why am I not a non-Calvinist uh, going to vote for Tom Askell, a Calvinist? And I really appreciated the article. I mean, he's not, he's not jumping out of his skin. At, right. But we realize there are things bigger than Calvinism, non-Calvinism, that we've got to unite on to, to stand together or else we're going to be sunk as a denomination. So I wrote him a little note. I said, you know, Ronnie, I'm humbled and appreciate what you said in this uh, endorsement. And uh, if God, by his grace, enables us to stand and see some real recovery in the SBC, then I look forward to the day when I can buy you a cup of coffee and we can start debating soteriology again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of the way I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, it, it's been such a sticking point for such a long time for so many people uh, that yeah. seeing seeing yourself and then others uh, not put an emphasis on it, but rather putting emphasis on things that you know actually affect all of us uh, in a more practical sense, I suppose, uh, in a in a big tent convention as we are. Sure, I'm sure you and I would both love for everyone in the SBC to suddenly <laughs> adopt the 1689 confession. Sure, uh, you know. They, <laughs> they, they want us to not to adopt something different. And that's fine. We're brothers. That's a fraternal debate, you know, and uh, it, it's intriguing to me. You know, for years we've heard about we need unity, we need unity, we need unity. Well, it seems like from the little vantage point I have, that you got a lot of Calvinists, a lot of non-Calvinists saying, yeah, you know, we agree Tom Askell would be a good candidate. And now then there are people, oh, no, no, you know, look at this. They're coalition, they're the coalition of the non-Calvinists, the Calvinists, that's a bad thing. And I'm thinking maybe there's something more going on here than really a desire for uh, unity. I mean, I, I don't know. But uh, anyway, I, I love the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, my concern is, and I've tried to explain this, and I don't know if I've done a good job about it yet. It's uh, what, what we're facing is an acid that is destroying the foundations that we stand on as evangelical Christians while we're living in the house. And we're saying, look, the house is fine. We, look, here's the door. There's the window. That hasn't shifted. Why are you telling us there's a change? There's nothing that we need to change here. But the foundation is being eroded. And it, it has to do with creational theology. Hmm. And I think that's where we're definitely being played is 
we have forgotten Genesis 1-1. This is God's world. He created it for himself, by himself. He's established the rules. He made hierarchies. He made distinctions. He made boundaries. He's granted authority in different realms. And so people will say, well, there's nothing in the Bible that says a man can't become a woman. Well, you got to read not only the, the book of a specific revelation in Scripture, you got to read the book of natural revelation because it's inerrant too. The, the heavens declare the glory of God. And I think that's where Southern Baptist and broader evangelicalism hasn't done much careful thinking, and it's coming home to roost in some very uh, dastardly ways, and we've got to recover foundational issues. And pardon me for rambling on, but I think that's why we see, you know, these uh, mothers at school board meetings ranting and raving against critical race theory, queer theory, all the stuff their kids are being taught. Well, it's not because some of them are reading their Bibles, but a lot of them are just reading creation. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, it's nuts. 50 years ago, everybody would have known this nuts. But now then, you know, we're being told, oh, no, 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 there's nothing in the Bible about it. This is a way of love. This is a way of, of what's right and good and true. Um, and we just, we need to recover that. Sure. And I feel, uh, allow me to rant for a second. I, I have a feeling that a lot of people don't quite understand, maybe in, and maybe it's just SBC leadership that I've seen. It's beyond that somewhat. But there's a lot of people who don't really understand that in a practical level, amongst your your congregations and just lay people, that's what they're dealing with. They're dealing with Absolutely. this thing day after day after day. And so when we take this sort of uh, laissez-faire attitude towards it, it, it actually does send a message. Uh, yeah. And that's what I've appreciated about your ministry is that you are, you are not sending that message. You're not willing for that message to be sent. And one of the things that I worry about uh, with, with, you know, anyone else who may be elected to the SBC presidency, uh, I don't even know who it will be at this point since Willie Rice has now withdrawn his nomination. But uh, what I worry about is that someone will come in who will have that same sort of passe, laissez-faire attitude towards that and and that it just will continue. And that's this idea that uh, it's, well, we don't really like it, but we're just going to kind of turn the other direction and not deal with it. Right. Uh, and I don't think that that's the appropriate thing for, lay people to be able to, to be able to hear and actually have some confidence in their convention. No, I agree. And, and again, I, you know, Bart Barber, who's a friend of mine, uh, he's not a Calvinist. He, he put something up the other day on, on uh, social media about in the conservative resurgence, it was all about theology, right? But in this new effort, you know, it's all about politics. And again, I haven't talked to Bart about this, but I, I just think that is short-sighted and, and not rigorously theological. All of life is theological. I'm happy to talk about politics. People want to do that. I think we need a better political theology than uh, certainly I and most of us have had growing up in the kind of uh, more pietistic evangelical world and in this SBC. But there's not one square inch of this universe that the Lord Jesus doesn't rule and reign over. And Mm -hmm. Kuiper was right on that point. And to think about the very things you just mentioned. I mean, our people are dealing with this. We got people in our church and they're told, hey, listen, Steve is now Laura. So you got to start calling Steve Laura or else, you know, you're going to be in trouble with HR. We got to think about that. We got to help our people understand what's going on there. Well, there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't call Steve Laura. So, you know, I guess it's okay. That's naive to to the hilt. You're killing people. If you don't help them to see, no, 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 the word of God actually does address this. And it addresses it in part by saying God created everything. He created the male and female. And everybody believed that up until yesterday. And now then we're being told, no, 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 no. If you don't you know, go along with us, you're not being loving. You're not being kind. 
uh, you're being a bigot or whatever, and people are being intimidated by it because God's people have not been rigorously trained enough to think biblically, theologically about every area of life. And so this, this idea, that, oh, now you're becoming political, Tom. No, 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 no. I'm taking the theology that I've always known and loved and advocated for and saying it applies to something more than the four walls of the church. It yes. applies to every area of life. Yeah, that's that. Uh, that's almost that ivory tower sort of concept, and it does feel like that sometimes. Where we get we get leadership, and and I don't. I'm not trying to disparage anyone specifically here, um, or anyone of any sort of general broad church size category. But we have a lot of mega church pastors in the leadership of the SBC, and it feels like sometimes that sort of executive mentality puts them in this that that box you mentioned, where we have we think about what's going on maybe broadly in the SBC. We think about you know images and the way things appear, but not always necessarily the theological underpinnings. And uh, I don't, I, that's frustrating as a person who's in a smaller SBC church um, as a, as a lay elder and certainly as a lay person in general uh, who has had practical, I mean, I work in public education. Uh, mm-hmm. I, mean, mm-hmm. I work in Texas, mm-hmm. I believe, but still I work in public education. So yeah. I, I, that's, that's enough uh, right there. Probably all I need to say really to help you understand that I get yeah. the concerns and I see the sure. concerns. I see them played out in real life. And I worry that other people aren't seeing those things. And so I, all I want sometimes is just for someone to say, no, this actually is a concern, but they just, they just won't do it. And it's so frustrating to me. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully yeah. that's encouraging to you. <laughs> it, well, it is. And listen, I've heard that for years now. People call me weeping, write me emails saying, you look, you know, we're facing this at work or this has happened in my broader family. And my church is telling me just, you know, be quiet, go along with it. It's not a, don't make this, a, uh, this is not a gospel issue. And we don't know what to do. I mean, I, you know, I've had to tell guys, you know, one that worked for a, a power five school in the athletic world. Uh, uh, he said, what should I do? I said, you should prepare to lose your job. You know, if you're going to stand for Christ, you're, you're going to probably lose your job because this is what's happening. And of course, that's not the counsel he was getting from his local church. We always try to send people back there, but it's, I've, I've been, you know, I've been really concerned that we haven't been thinking rigorously enough about these things. And it, it's pastime. We're playing catch up and we've got to do this. We've got to see what's going on and stand by our principles. Come what may, man, I, I want to be a guy who takes God's word seriously, who believes everything it says, follows wherever it goes, regardless of cost or consequence. Let the Lord handle those things. Let's Amen. just be faithful. Hmm. Amen. Okay. Well then let's, let's shift into some practical thinking here. Um, mm-hmm. If elected, what's the plan? I, I frankly don't know enough about the SBC presidency to really know what what you would have, what the presidency has influence over, the kinds of things that you could implement that would actually practically move forward some of these ideas that you've been talking about. Yeah, well, I mean, it's very limited in an official capacity. So, right, so we're Baptists. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and it, our polity is cumbersome by design, and there's some good for, reasons for that. But I've had people say, man, I hope you become president because we need to change everything right now. And I'm thinking, well, it's not going to change right now. Uh, that's just not the way it's designed to work. So the SBC president just has a few official responsibilities. One, he moderates the next year's convention. So Ed Litton, who was elected last year, will moderate the convention uh, business sessions in Anaheim coming up in June. And secondly, the president appoints the Committee on Resolutions, which you know we've seen – that hadn't been the best in my estimation the last few years. Uh, so you would have an opportunity to, to appoint a committee 
on resolutions that could actually handle resolutions, write resolutions, and bring out to the floor those they think would be best for Southern Baptists to debate and to recommend that they adopt. Uh, then he, most importantly, officially, he appoints the Committee on Committees. And I know it sounds a real Baptist term there, Committee on Committees. And that's a committee that only has a short life, but a very important role, because that Committee on Committee then uh, they have the responsibility of appointing a committee on nominations. And that committee on nominations then has the responsibility of um, choosing people to fill vacancies on all the trustee boards of our entities and agencies. And then those nominations are taken to the convention the next year and they are voted on by the messengers. Most of the time, most of the nominations will be overwhelmingly approved of because you trust the process. There have been some uh, contested uh, nominees from that nomination committee, but uh, they're, they're usually one or two off and they're pretty rare. So what you got to have is a president who'll do that one year and then another president who'll, or the same one, maybe the second year, but you got to do that for several years in a row to get people on the trustee boards of the institutions to say, listen, you know, for example, to articulate what I just did, this institution belongs to Southern Baptists, and we need to be accountable to the churches, listen to the churches, and be responsive to the churches. We need to be transparent. So it's a cumbersome process. And where we are now, my estimation is we're probably looking at a six to eight year uh, process to kind of uh, get leadership in place to make those appointments that will effectively uh, give a representation on the trustee board's to start doing what I would wish all of our trustee boards would do, and that is to hold the institutions in trust and not serve as a PR arm for the institution. <laughs> so, you know, that'll take a while. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, that's that's good to know, though. I mean, those are really helpful things for especially a lot of my viewers who may not be aware. <laughs> yeah, but, but let me say informally, you know, I mean, well, the, the president's the ex officio on a lot of those trustee boards, too. But informally, I mean, you got a bully pulpit. You know, uh, you, you speak as the president of the largest Protestant denomination in North America. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that everything you say is right or everything you say is representative of the SBC, but it does mean that people will listen to you more than just, you know, if you're the pastor of First Baptist Church in uh, Cape Coral or, you know, Owasso or wherever it is, you know, they people will listen because it's, oh, okay, you, you are uh, elected by this largest Protestant denomination in North America. And that's not, not insignificant. So one of the things I would love to do if I were to become president is to kind of change the uh, conversation. Let's start talking about these spiritual things and the fear of God. Let's start talking about what it means to see Christ Lord over everything and start talking about his lordship in the various spheres that God has ordained. What does it look like for a Christian to be a public school educator, uh, to be a medical practitioner, uh, to be in politics. Let's, let's talk about that and try to be rigorously biblical in our conversation. Mm -hmm. Are you getting to political theology here? Soon? <laughs> yeah, right. is, that's, that's been fun for me kind of to develop in, uh, this is kind of an aside more than anything, but just but talk in talks with people to try and figure out, you know, how do we really interact with the state? And I had a whole debate on my channel between Tom Hicks and time and Klein. Yeah. 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 A lot of fun uh, to talk about. And, you know, I certainly align more in the maybe two kingdoms sort of view that Tom, uh, Tom Hicks anyway, uh, put forward, but still just mm -hmm. the idea of how do we interact with the state? I think we can all agree at the very least that we do interact with the state. Absolutely. <laughs> how to do that. Um, well, Here's one thing, Greg. I mean, I think this will help a lot of people, even if they never develop further. 
is to recognize that the God who ordained the church ordained the state. Hmm. Yes. And so the state is responsible to God. The magistrate answers to God. Romans 13, he is God's deacon. That's the word. He's God's servant. And if we just get that much clear, I think that'll turn a lot of lights on in people's minds. So, oh, okay, you know, the state's not doesn't have a right just to be secular. I mean, they're not the church. We don't want them to be the church. We don't want them to interfere with the church, and we don't want the church to rule the state. But what we do want is for our magistrates to realize, hey, we're not out here uh, de novo. We are under the living God. Hmm. And we pray regularly for governor and president and other uh, political officials in our church. And reg- almost always I pray, God, help them to recognize, get, bring somebody to teach them that they're your servant. And one day they'll stand to give an account to you for how they've operated. And some people would think, oh, man, you're being political. <laughs> well, I'm being theological. <laughs> right. And that's that's a it's such a, it's a distinction that I think I really wish more people would get. Like our theology affects everything. It, it implies. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just it's it is it's frustrating to see people hand wave away uh, any sort of com- conversation about politics and policy and things yeah. like that because well it's it's worldly. We live in a world that God created. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Okay, well, I want to I want to make sure that we end on a high note. So I want you to give me in in your your most presidential sort of speech. <laughs> what do you love about the SBC? Why do you want? Why do you uh, why do you want to serve the SBC in this way? Yeah, well, man, uh, it's an incredible organization. I mean, whether you you love it or hate it, you think it's on the right path, wrong path. It's an incredible organization. And God has done amazing things in and through the Convention of Churches known as Southern Baptists. Uh, our, our mission force, the International Mission Board, uh, I've been on the field with international missionaries. We have sent missionaries through the IMB from our church. I've sent two of my own kids uh, at different times, you know, to, to Muslim countries, Pakistan, Indonesia. And uh, I've seen, I've seen the infrastructure that the IMB brings. And I could tell you a lot of stories in comparison to uh, other missionaries without that infrastructure and just some of the challenges they face. I'm not saying it's the only way to do it. I'm saying God has helped Southern Baptists to put together uh, an infrastructure, an organization to get the, the message of the gospel to the world that's unlike anything that I know of really in history. Uh, that doesn't mean it's always been the best and doesn't mean others haven't done incredible work. And there's been great sacrifice from missionaries throughout history without the IMB. I'm just saying this is an incredible investment that he has enabled us to to make disaster relief our disaster relief is second to none uh i mean we we're there whenever a disaster hits i'm down here you know with hurricanes and so we've seen it firsthand we benefited firsthand we participated in helping others firsthand but the uh, disaster relief of southern baptists are there before the red cross shows up we're there after the red cross is gone the red cross takes tips from our disaster relief workers they're just they're second to none, uh, to see the impact around the world that the SBC has. I mean, uh, a, a rising tide raises all ships, and the SBC is the largest that has the opportunity to see that tide rise. So as we go proper in proper directions, we're going to benefit far beyond Southern Baptists. We educate one-third of the evangelical seminary students in the United States. That's a tremendous impact. And I, I just love the, the way God's worked in us. We've got all kinds of checks in our checkered past, you know, and that's true of any individual, any church, and certainly this denomination. But God has blessed us, and I think we're stewards of those blessings. And I think 
by his grace, if, if we see genuine spiritual renewal and some structural renovation, that we can anticipate wonderful days in front of us uh, in the power of his gospel and spirit. Amen. I know you love that phrase, but God. I mean, who, who doesn't love that phrase? But, you know, I, that's something that's really important to, to highlight as well. There's so many people that are critical of the SBC now and in the past, uh, or maybe just at one of those times, yeah. regardless, um, we can all say, I think together, but God yeah. is able to do a great work through it. And I, I you know, I, I love the SBC as well. Um, I know many people who have pulled out of the SBC. Sure. Right. Uh, and I, I understand in some ways. Absolutely. Uh, can you blame them? behind it but i also appreciate it and i'll kind of maybe i should go back and put this link in the description but uh you had a really good episode of the sword and the trowel on staying long in the fight mm. uh, and i think that's important and i hope that more people consider that uh, as we push forward with trying to make this great organization um into something that god continues to use in really powerful ways amen amen that's my desire yeah Okay. Well, then finally, kind of to land the plane to wrap us up, though, if you can just give us in a few sentences that with all that in mind, uh, why you're willing to accept the nomination uh, and then what, I don't know, just kind of, a, I guess, a, a final sum up of your, um, you know, both your desire to serve in this way, why you would like to, and, um, you know, how you think that the SBC can grow going forward. I know we've answered a lot of this stuff, but maybe just a well, I was convinced. I mean, I was convinced by God through friends I trust, uh, the the leaders in our church that I serve with, that I trust implicitly with my life. Uh, my wife, uh, who was became very open to it, and uh, I'll spare you the details, but but it was very evident that God changed hearts and minds uh, to say to me, "Yes, we think you're the guy that should let yourself be put in this position at this time." And so I, I said, okay, you know, it's not anything I aspire to. I don't need it on my resume. I'm not looking for anything. But if I can help, I will. One of the arguments used against me or for me, I don't know how to put it, was, uh, look, Tom, you've talked about a lot of stuff, and you're, you're, you're always saying this needs to change and we need to correct this. Uh, why don't you step up and do it? And so if this is what God has for me, fine. If not, I, fine. You know, I, I just trust him with it. What I would want to see happen is uh, – what nobody can do. <laughs> I mean, what I want to see happen is the fire of God to fall. Uh, I, I want to see the spirit of God come upon our churches and humble us. I really believe first Peter four seventeen applies to us. It's time for judgment to begin in the household of God. Uh, we've got so many things that we need to come to terms with. We need to have a reckoning in our convention about a lot of things. You know, the sex abuse task force report is maybe written by now. It's going to be released soon. Uh, I'm sure they'll have all kinds of things in there that are embarrassing and sorrowful, and we ought to own everything that's legit. Every fact we should not be ashamed to own, though we might be ashamed of the fact, and we ought to deal with it as Christians in however they, it needs to be dealt with to honor Christ. But beyond that, you look at our churches, you look at some of the ways we've handled things, and uh, we shouldn't be afraid of repentance. So I'm praying that God will rekindle a fear of him among us with a real spiritual renewal. And then structurally, uh, the, the trustee board situation, I think we need a new way of training trustees. We may have too many trustees right now. I, I don't know. I just think all of that needs to be looked at. We need to evaluate whether we are really prepared for the domination of uh, selfism that we're living through as a culture. Uh, are we prepared confessionally for it? Are we prepared uh, practically in our organizations for it? Um, that, what does it mean to be a Southern Baptist church? If you can sign the Baptist faith and message and yet uh, advocate 
for homosexual Christianity, does that mean you're really in keeping with the Baptist faith and message? Or, or do we need to address other things that highlight where the Baptist faith and message actually rests, which is on Genesis 1-1? So those kinds of conversations need to happen. Uh, but only God, I mean, only God can do it. And he doesn't need me, obviously, to do it. But uh, if he is pleased to use me to start the conversation and to begin this, um, what I, I believe to be a very serious issue, uh, time to, to look at these things, then uh, just pray that if he puts me in that position, that uh, he will enable me by his grace to be faithful to it. Yeah. You know, what keeps striking me is this, this phrase that was thrown out so often in the SBC last year uh, that the world is watching and the world, the world is watching. The world is watching how we respond to it. Right. And uh, I pray right. that we would respond to it. Well, we respond to it as Christians and Amen. I think I hope that you, you know, you and I'm prayerful, prayerful and hopeful that, uh, you know, if you are put into that position, that that will be a, a good opportunity for us to start looking at it in that way. Amen. And to start re- remembering before the world, God is watching. Yes. And we're going to stand and give an account to him one day. And um, if he would teach us that and help us to live with that kind of humility and awareness, uh, no telling what good things might come. Amen. Well, I think there's no better place that we can possibly choose to end this conversation. So let's let's stop while we're ahead. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, just give us a couple of places where we can find you online before we pray to close us out. Yeah, well, you can go to Twitter at Tom Askell. I think it's just at Tom Askell. Uh, I'm on Instagram too. I don't. That's Thomas Askell there, I think, and Facebook. And TrueGraceOfGod.org is Grace Baptist Church's website, and then Founders.org is Founders Ministries, and Institute of Public Theology.org. So. All of those uh, ways you can locate us uh, online. All right. I'll try to link all those things in the description after we're done here. Um, definitely check out founders.org. I, I can't tell you again how many times I've gone to their website and benefited from the articles mm-hmm. that are written there. Uh, and in Founders Press, uh, I, I've already, I'm not going to go through them all again, but I've listed so many books on this podcast at some point mm-hmm. or another that I've purchased from there that are really helpful. So mm-hmm. uh, check those out as well. All right. Well, do you mind praying for us to close? Yeah, let me do that. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. You are always full of grace and mercy. Your mercies meet us every morning. They're fresh, they're new. And we know it's all because of Jesus that he purchased us and he purchased grace and mercy for us by his life of obedience to your commandments, his death on the cross under the curse of your law, his powerful resurrection that guarantees ours. And we ask that you would help us to continue to trust him, to turn from sin, to hate sin, Lord, do rekindle a fear of you in us. Forgive us for not fearing you as we ought. Deliver us from the fear of people, but help us to love people, to love as we've been loved. I thank you for Greg and his engagement in this forum to try to encourage fellow believers. And we pray for the SBC. Your will be done, Lord. um, We trust you. We know you're always working, doing things we can't fully calculate or fathom, but we want your will to be done. And if you'd be pleased, to send spiritual renewal to this convention of churches, uh, we would offer up praise and thanksgiving to you. Use your people. God, please use your people to preach Christ here and throughout the world. For we ask in his name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Regenerated Radio. If this resource was edifying or encouraging, I hope you'll consider leaving a five-star review on your podcast app of choice. Also, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel for live podcasts, theology primers, book reviews, and more. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you next time.